Hello everyone. Welcome back to episode 14 of Torsky Tuesdays. I am your host, Hananya Abraham. Moving right along over here, the last thing that we were talking about is the importance of being humble and how that is going to be one of the fundamental parts of being happy. And we're up to page 40. The title of this area that we're going to talk about today is called Humble Enough to Admit Mistakes. In Ernest Kurt's book, The Spirituality of Imperfection, he relates this marvelous quote from the commissioner of baseball, Francis T. Vincent Jr., who was the commissioner of Major League Baseball here in America from about 1989 till like 1992, 1993. Wasn't that long of a tenured commissioner, but I think he uh, actually was his hometown or his birth town is actually where I am currently residing in uh, Connecticut. Um, and he says something, his quote from Ernest Kurtz's book that Dr. Torsky is bringing here, is baseball teaches us, or has taught us, most of us, how to deal with failure. We learn at a very young age that failure is the norm in baseball. And precisely because we have failed, we hold in high regard those who fail less often. Those who hit safely in only one out of three chances and become star players. I also find it fascinating, continues Mr. Vincent, that baseball, alone in sport, considers errors to be a part of the game, part of its rigorous growth. And I guess analyzing this great quote as a therapist, I think something that we ta- I talk about often is the concept of failure and how fascinating it is that to get into the Hall of Fame, which is one of the highest and most prominent accolades that a baseball player, or really any matter from any major sport here in America, that one can get, they just have to hit the ball three and a half, three times out of ten. So they could be somewhere over, a little bit over 30%, and they do that for their career. That will get them into the Hall of Fame and be considered one of the best players. I think it's unbelievable. Now, the part that I don't necessarily agree with over here is where he says that errors are part of the game, that it's the o- alone in that, and it's considered errors to be part of the game. Because there are other sports that do talk about interceptions, fumbles, turnovers, um, that's in basketball and in, and in football. So there are, are other areas where we, they do have the concept of the mistakes. But for it to be so part of what it is, I mean, if a quarterback in, in, in football only completed 30% of their passes, or if someone shot 30% from the field in basketball or from the foul line, or if a goalie only saved 30% of the shots, they wouldn't be a professional sports player. But baseball players are able to continue and be on a very high level if they just hit the ball 30% of the time. Just to put it a little, in a little bit more perspective, in the past 80 years of professional baseball, and yes, we've had one or two from the pandemic, 
lockout season in the early 90s, when the past 80 years of baseball, not a single baseball player, and there have been tens of thousands, not a single baseball player has hit the ball for an entire season 40% of the time. Extra points for those who can email the last player to do so in 1941, I think it was, 1940, 1941. But doesn't that go to show you that a person can fail as much as a baseball player and still can be considered good? So continues Dr. Torsky over here. If we were looking for a statement that sums up the human condition, it might be exactly this. Errors are a part of the game. Any discussion about being the best we can be has to include the best we can be is not perfect. We will make errors. We will make mistakes. But admitting that our mistakes is also uniquely human and is therefore a feature of spirituality and human fulfillment. Meaning it's very normal. And it is human nature to be making mistakes. And I've given that example of baseball. Just one more example of baseball here. Not because it's my favorite sport, but I think there's a lot of examples that could be learned from it. I think there's a lot of examples that could be learned from sports in general. But maybe we'll get to that more over time. The perfect game is, a, is when a pitcher has 27 batters that he faces from the opposing team, and not a single one ever reaches base. 27 up, 27 down. But included in a perfect game, the ball could be hit. It actually could be hit over 400 feet. He can throw balls constantly. He actually could throw for every single batter. He can throw more balls than strikes. But it's still considered a perfect game. Look at that. It's a perfect game with so many quote-unquote errors. I don't know how the SATs in America are scored right now. But I remember when I was taking the SATs, the highest score was a 1600. But the way the, the scoring was set up, you can still get one or two or maybe even three wrong and still get a perfect score. Isn't that amazing? How you could be quote-unquote perfect, but yet not be perfect? Because that's life. That's how a person, when you understand that, you accept that. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to wake up late. I am not going to do well in every single test. I'm going to make some errors in my relationships. That itself is so humanistic and so part of who we're supposed to be. And like we've talked about before, I think that's where some of the negative aspects of social media has come in. Everyone looks at what Instagram is as something where it's a perfect life. No, you're only seeing a glimpse of what a person's life is. Even for someone that's a quote-unquote influencer, and I have a whole separate opinion on what that means. And the way I look at that is as a father, as a person, but also as a therapist, and what I've seen in my office regarding how people look at the concept of influencing and using, using social media for benefits, and they have a lot of great benefits to it. But at the same time, there are certain things that, are, that we see, that we only see in the quote-unquote perfect person. But we're only seeing one teeny little glimpse What's really happening happening around them? That happens is because we think that that person is perfect, but really no one is. There's no such thing. Let's be human 
and realize that we are we will make mistakes and there's nothing wrong with that. I know I'm digressing a little bit over here, but I do believe it's a very big part of that because when a person has comes to that realization that normal is mistakes, or shall I say mistakes are normal, and that's a humanistic nature. When you have that, what we call in DBT therapy, that radical acceptance of me, who I am, and I am a quote-unquote mistake-driven person who makes mistakes every now and then, that will bring about happiness because I'll realize, hey, I am who I am. This is only natural to which to be right. I'm sorry. It is only natural to wish to be right. However, humble people are not threatened by the awareness of and the admission of a mistake or even a wrong deed. Not only do they recognize human fallibility, but they also recognize the benefits of confession and penance. Meaning, confession means realizing and having that owning up to something that happened that, hey, I know I could do better. Going back to sports over here for a minute, it's very normal and common for the leader of the team, whether it's the coach, the quarterback, the star player, to say, hey, I'll take this one. This is my bad. I messed up on this. And that's not something that I'm going to sleep on well. It's because realizing that there's responsibility, I think, is a very, very close uh, correlation to what we're, what we're talking about over here. The humble position of admitting a mistake, a mistake, has many practical advantages. For starters, people tend to forgive someone who owns up to a mistake. It is reported that physicians who admit a mistake are less likely to be sued for malpractice because we're showing that we're human. You're showing that, hey, I made a mistake. I did something I shouldn't have done. Okay, you're human. A lot more compassion shown for that person that shows their human side to who they are. It's when people, or, you know, there are certain things happening in the news right now, I'm not going to get into specifics, where people don't take responsibility for who they are. And while they may have put on a facade for themselves and for the world to see about themselves, and then when the truth comes out that they are not who people thought they were, all of a sudden that makes it that, hey, don't blame other people for you being fake. Take responsibility for it. Continues Dr. Torsky. It is when physicians are adamant that they are right that the plaintiffs find experts who will testify that they are wrong. Then there is the benefit of healing. Needless to say, repetition of mistakes may take a heavy toll. When we are aware of a mistake and ask for forgiveness, we are taking precautions against this recurrence. Admitting a mistake is particularly important in marriage. Countless marriages might have been saved if spouses have only said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I did hear this from, I don't want to misquote over here, but one of the famous relationship experts is Dr. John Gottman. And I think he says over there, Again, I could be quoting it from someone else, but the three most important words in a marriage are not, I love you, but I was wrong. And I think it's very important because there's a certain sense of, of, of ownership that's there. Acknowledging, 
A mistake or the wrongdoing can also be extremely advantageous to character refinement. While most of us would never think of committing a, a, a heinous crime, we might be tempted to fudge the truth, the, the truth a little bit once in a while. On a time card, on taxes, or in a business transaction, for example, if we can admit that these minor dishonest practices are as wrong as a heinous crime, then we are all better persons for it. I think that's a very good point, which is why when it comes to certain, let's say, chemicals, there are so many cautions. Stay away from, don't enter, wear a hazmat suit. It's because, yes, being in the presence might not be a problem because only touching is a problem. But when you sort of set it up so that you have to stay further back, it keeps you further away. So putting it into into your head Hey, that's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, is that as bad as some heinous crime or a Ponzi scheme or something like that? Of course not. But when you look at it that way, that I'll stay away from that because I know that's very wrong, that itself will build up a certain level of character for who we are. So just to finish off chapter four over here, this insight came to me at an AA meeting when a man who was sober for 20 years said, the man I once was drank and the man I once was will drink again. If I am not drinking now, it is because my character is such that it, it does not allow me to drink. If my character goes back to what it once was, I think I will drink again. Admitting our mistakes and resolving not to do them again is an inadequate deterrent to repeating them. We need to take it one step further. We need to humbly refine our characters so that the objectionable act becomes an impossibility. This is true penitence, and therein lie the seeds of happiness and our dignity as human beings. Wow, how so elegantly wrote by Dr. Torsky here, saying that in order for me to be that refined character, that thing I can't do. And it's not even on the table. Sort of like, let's say, in, in child-rearing, do you want to go to bed at 7 or at 7.05? We're not giving them an option to go to bed. You have to put it to them of giving an option. Let them, quote, unquote, choose on their own. And when it comes to ourselves, it's, do you want to live as a human being or not? And if you're going to have that sort of responsibility to yourself, underlying the word yourself, that's what gets the person to be refined in character taking ownership and responsibility for who they are. Therefore, a person will then be able to open themselves up to happiness. Thank you so much for joining me in my podcast. This is uh, New at Denver, like I mentioned before. I really enjoy the little banters that we've had on email with some people. I am uh, very, very glad and welcoming to hear anyone what they have to say. If any comments, questions, thoughts, maybe have a Q&A session once in the middle of reading of this book, which uh, we're almost halfway there. The book is um, about 140 pages. Oh, I'm sorry. We're about 40 pages in, so we're not even halfway there. But we still got some more, and I'm not, we're going to try to pick up the pace and read a little bit more at a time. But even though I do believe that part of the talking out and... Um, explaining some of these thoughts from Dr. Torsky, I think are very, very valuable on the growth 
in this area of spirituality and, and, and religion. So if a person, just to recap over here, when a person is able to take hold of themselves and put themselves in a position to own up to who they are, that is one of the shotgun ways for a person to come to happiness. Any questions, comments, or concerns, please email me at koshercounseling at gmail.com.